Welcome back to season two of the Product Marketing Experts podcast. Today, I have with me Diego Lomanto, VP of Product Marketing at UiPath. Diego is a seasoned product marketer who has taken UiPath from early stages through IPO to now a nearly 36 billion dollar valuation. It's an incredible journey and our conversation today captures what that journey was like for Diego, how to grow as a leader, how to think about narrative telling and storytelling as you go through this journey. This is an episode if you are considering joining a company of similar size or aspiring to maybe take your company public is an episode you're definitely going to want to listen to. Shout out to our sponsor Clue. Clue is the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers that want to drive revenue for their business. It helps product marketers to easily collect, curate, and distribute insights that enable your revenue teams to beat their competition. Welcome back to season two of the Product Marketing Experts podcast. I am so excited to have with me today, Diego Lamento, the VP of Product Marketing at UiPath. Welcome to the podcast, Diego. I'm so excited to have you for this conversation. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your role at UiPath? Sure. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me here. I'm uh, excited to have this conversation with you as well. So like you said, I'm the VP of Product Marketing at UiPath. I've been at UiPath for three years. I have a team of, I think, roughly 20 product marketers. We have a couple of different focus areas, our core product, our expansion products, our AI products, and our, we call them sort of robot for every person products that are designed to help end users work directly with automations. So a lot of product detail that I won't go into there, but I I have a decent sized team of product marketers, analyst relations as well at UiPath. I own competitive, go to market competitive at UiPath as well. And I also own, uh, I don't own industry marketing, but industry content. So I have a sort of a wide berth at UiPath, but the primary center is around product marketing and helping the world understand and really get to know and use our products. That's pretty amazing. And I think for myself, for a lot of the listeners of this podcast who are aspiring to grow their career, can you tell me like a little bit about how did you get to the VP level? What was your path to that at UiPath or potentially even before that? Sure. I'll give you sort of the brief history, tell you how I grew up and then how I ended up where I am. So, you know, digital computer kid, always been fascinated by the role technology plays in our world and will play in the future. And so I had a marketing, I went to school for marketing. I was always dipping my toes in technology. I was revealing my age a little bit in sort of the dot-com boom, taught myself how to code, ended up working for web design companies, jumped over to client side and started building out an HR platform as actually a developer. But my heart was kind of always in between the development and marketing. And over time, I kind of transitioned to be more on the marketing side, even though I wasn't officially marketing. Long story there. But I went back to school, got my MBA, and then made the full transition into product marketing when I went to work for a company called Verant Systems that does contact center software. I was the product marketing manager for their speech analytics product. And I spent a number of years there. And that's where I see I grew up in marketing. I learned the craft of product marketing it was the mid 2000s and beyond. And that's where I spent 
spent the most of my time as an individual contributor. And I loved it. I absolutely loved everything about technology, but also the role of product marketing, being able to help explain the value of a product, explain what a product does, but also tell it in crafted and benefits oriented way, telling customer stories, educating the market, really pinpointing and developing a narrative. Those were the things I just found so appealing. And to me as personally that I ended up getting pretty good at it. And so that's where I kind of really figured out who I am and what I do. So I spent time doing that, then left to go run product marketing at another company, which was a public company at the time I joined there. And then I went and worked for a startup and it was my first startup experience. And I like to say I've had three startup, I guess four if you call UiPath, but three really early stage startup experiences. One was good, one was bad, and one is still going, Um, but I'm not there. But I went to the one that didn't turn out so great. Personally, it was great for me. I actually, this company raised a lot of money. I didn't really understand the VC world. I didn't understand the relationship between the series rounds. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious now, but it was back 15 years ago, so 12 years ago. And I learned a lot about working at a startup. The point is that there was a lot of chaos there. There was a change in management. We decided to go from on-prem to SaaS. And I built out a marketing strategy, brought it to the CEO as we were without a marketing leader. And I became the marketing leader. And there I became the VP of marketing. And so from there, I ran marketing at a couple of startups. That one did not pan out. But the next one that I did worked pretty well. It was a company called Work Market. I ran marketing there. I was hired with 18 people. Eventually, the company sold to ADP for a decent number, not an exit like We've had a UI test thus far, but pretty good one. And I learned how to run marketing there. It really is at a bigger scale. And then I went and dabbled in B2C and that tried it, wasn't for me. And I ended up wanting to go back into enterprise software. And that's sort of how I ended up at UiPath. I could share that story if you like. But I think the one thing I learned from getting to UiPath was that I developed this mental model along the way of what, from thinking about my career, to, to think about how to put yourself in a good position for a to be in a growth market. My mental model is think about what does the future look like five, 10 years from now? And when I went through that exercise, it became apparent to me that automation is obvious, right? And it seems even more obvious now in 2021, but 2015, 2016, it wasn't quite obvious how we'd get to automation at scale, but I knew automation was going to happen. And then I started looking deeply into like, what are the ways that companies automate? And I uncovered this really nascent technology called RPA that was a different approach to automation. Prior to that was done through programming, through APIs, and still is to some extent, but there was a lot of heavy lifting in terms of automating processes. And RPA took a different approach. We were the early RPA players, and at the time, UiPath was less than a million in revenue, but they were starting to get a name. The approach was through the user interface and treat the application on the desktop like a human would and build out technology that can interact with applications like a human would. And that fascinated me. So I really started to dive into that market. I built out a thesis, wrote some point of view on it, did a lot of research, started networking, connecting. And then I ended up meeting Daniel Dinez, our CEO, as he was looking for the next CMO. He was hiring Bobby Patrick, our CMO today, definitely the best market I've ever worked with. I met him. They weren't ready to hire. They had a product marketing, but we had a great conversation. And when they raised Series B and they were ready for product marketing, they gave me a call. So I really learned sort of like use that mental model, think about the future, and then really prepare yourself to be in that future by really having a POV and a narrative so that when that time 
time comes that you get that opportunity, you're able to capitalize on it. And that's what I did. Sorry for the super long answer, Jeff, but that's sort of the journey. Hopefully that's helpful for your listeners. No, that's incredibly helpful. And thank you, Diego, for sharing all that. I think we as product marketers spend so much time, or at least hopefully we all spend so much time in the market and understanding our customers and understanding that the trends that are broadly happening out in the market, that really hopefully it enables us all to develop those mental models and get ahead of these kind of coming trends, I guess, so to speak, that you've done such a good job at predicting and foreseeing and and capitalizing on. Yeah. Well, I think the thing I learned there, like along the way was TAM matters, right? And scale matters. So you can be the best in a small market and that's really tough. You could be mediocre in a huge market and that's pretty good. Or you could be really good in a huge market and that's the best. And so I encourage people when they're thinking about how to look at their career, really think about the market. You don't just jump on an opportunity just because it's a leadership role or it looks like an interesting job or an interesting technology. I would definitely say, look at the market. And that's what my sort of strategy was to like really position myself in a market that has huge opportunity to go along with the hard work I was going to do and hopefully a little bit of talent I brought to the table. Of course. And it always takes a little bit of luck, but hard work and preparation definitely contribute to that luck, right? As the saying goes. So I definitely think we all can learn a lesson from your success there. And congratulations, not only to you, but the UiPath team as well. You have quite a large team of product marketers. And I think it'd be just interesting if you could for just a minute here, talk a little bit about how have you thought about growing your team? And you mentioned some of the different focus areas of your team. So how have you thought about that evolution as UiPath has grown? Yeah, so it started with a much smaller team. And when I joined, we had three products, our robots that actually run automations, our studio where you build the automations and our orchestrator, which is where you manage them. And that was in 2018. By now we have 20 products, I believe. The the product set itself has grown tremendously. And so I really started, had to think about, well, how do I support more products, multiple products, multiple market segments, et cetera. So I just looked at where we were going with the product and tried to determine what scope do I need? How do I best match what the product set looks like and what the market looks like? And I developed sort of an organizational structure around that. Not every product has a dedicated product marketing manager. Some of them are smaller. Some of them are designed to support the core products, but at any significant scale, sort of had a threshold in terms of what the scale looked like, not only from a revenue expectation, but from a work perspective, because even some of the products that don't have a lot of direct revenue are pretty significant in their space in regards to how much content we need to put out, how much campaigning we need to do, even if they don't have direct revenue contribution, then they're more in support of the core products. So I looked at that and developed a team structure based on that. And being in a high growth, we actually had quite a bias for hiring in 2019, but we've rethought that leading up to the IPO, we right-sized ourselves and we slowed down the hiring, but we kind of were in a mode of let's just get the right people on the bus and go from there. And then we refined over time. That's amazing. And it makes a ton of sense to really align people with the potential, I guess, so to speak, of a product line and opportunity of that product line. And also the kind of breadth, I guess, so to speak, that product line plays not within the business itself. I want to just jump over real quick because as doing some research for this episode and just looking forward to this conversation, I saw that UiPath recently went public and that's a milestone event, right? Certainly there are a number of companies public today, but there aren't many product marketers who have had the fortune to take a company public like you and I. And so curious if you can share a little bit about what that was like. 
it definitely is a smaller club, like, right, you know, just how many companies are public. It's a smaller club, but it's also something that if you haven't done it, it's a completely new experience, right? It's really hard to even understand going into it, what it would take. So I think it's a great conversation for people to who want to get there. I had no idea what to expect. So I think it's great to create content that helps people <laughs> uh, if they search for this when their company is looking to gear for IPO to get a sense of it. So I'm happy to talk about that. There's two things. One, just the company IPO journey in general is interesting to talk about. And I'll talk about that a little bit. But I think the role of product marketing at UiPath in that journey is interesting because I think it shows what if you do good foundational product marketing work early and before the IPO journey starts, it can help you get a seat at the table during the IPO journey, which is what happened for us. So if I rewind back a little bit, like I said, I joined in 2018. We were growing extremely fast. All the numbers are in the S1 filing. So I don't want to say anything. So I don't want to misquote and then <laughs> get in trouble with our investor relations team. So you can look at the numbers that they are. But we were growing extremely fast. We were expanding the portfolio. And in 2019, I was working with our chief product officer, Pram Cologne, and looking at all this innovation that we were bringing to market. Like I said, we went from three products to 19, I think, in 2019, early 2020. And we needed a story. We needed a narrative around what is this bundle of capabilities that we're bringing to the customer and to the market? Why do they care? What does it do? How do people understand it? What is the framework in which to assess and understand what automation is and why this product will help them pull off an automation strategy. And we created this end-to-end platform framework, this narrative that talks about discovering what to automate, building your automations, managing those automations, running the automations, getting people to engage with their automations and measuring the automations. And that took going and flying around the world in the days pre-pandemic, um, talking. We were born global within a couple of years. We were in 20 different countries. Now we're in many more than that even. We have three development centers at the time, Bucharest, India, and Bellevue, Washington. And spending time going and talking to the product owners, talking to the go-to-market leads, and really understanding what is it we're building and why customers care. And we came upon this platform story that we unveiled at our big user event in 2019. UPF Forward is our big annual event. And that really changed the company and the market. Today, the outcomes of that are, this is how we talk about the product, talk about the platform. We differentiate by the platform. It is how we sell. It is what customers look to us as being the only automation provider that provides the end-to-end platform and it matters to them and they care. So back in the work we did in the 2018, 2019 timeframe, gave product marketing a seat at the table because it was impactful and it was influential and it was around the story and the narrative. And that was really the part that was missing at, at UiPath. We had the product, we had to go to market motion, we had all that happening, but we really needed a good narrative. And that's where product marketing stepped in and earned our stripes. So then if we fast forward to the IPO journey, for those who haven't been through an IPO, and we can talk about this, I know you have been, but it's a long journey, right? You gear up. We were thinking about it a year and a half before we hired bankers to start it, right? But when you get to officially start the process there, it's a long process. You hire the bankers, you spend a lot of time going through Riding the S1, you have multiple meetings with the investment community, there's testing the waters, there's analyst day, there's all these different milestones in which you talk about the company, you talk about the prospects for the market, you talk about why the company is going to win, and you craft that narrative throughout the process so that when you get to the IPO day, you have a compelling narrative to the market. And that's where product marketing got a seat at the table. Because of our really good work, my team's really good work during the formation of our narrative, we were brought 
brought into the table and participated very deeply in the IPO process to be that sort of narrative and storytelling team to really help the team understand that. So that's a little bit into it. Anything specific I could talk more about IPO? That's incredible. And that journey is a remarkable one. And I was able to see a very similar journey at my time at HubSpot up through IPO. And it truly is a remarkable experience that I hope so many of the product marketing listeners of this podcast get to experience because it's hard to even encapsulate in words, but it's transformative in so many respects. Yeah. And if you do the foundational work right, you should be a major contributor to the process because so much of the IPO process is about explaining what your company does and why it's valuable. And that's a core part of what your job should be, right? So if you do your job well, you should be at the table. So that's just sort of like a chicken and an egg there. But what I also found, Jeff, throughout the process was that not only did we walk in with a good story to tell, but it got sharper over the course of the IPO process. I really found, we as a company found the IPO process extremely valuable for helping us sharpen our story. And we came out of the IPO process with an even crisper and clearer narrative that then we are taking organizations and leveraging, right? So you should get a lot of content out of the IPO process. You should get a lot of positioning out of the IPO process. What your CEO and CFO do during the roadshow and how they talk about the product and how they talk about the market, that they'll create naturally with your help, really great positioning for post-IPO. And that's what we're finding now is that the work that we did in the IPO was great for the IPO process, but it's carrying over. And then the amplification that came out of the IPO has also been tremendous for us. So there's really a confluence of things. That's a great thing to do from an exit perspective and from a company perspective, but it's actually really accelerating the business too. So I think the IPO is a crucial milestone for companies that are driving sort of huge momentum like we were and like hopefully a lot of you guys are. That's incredible. And I think I'd love to back up a step and just maybe understand what led to the narrative, the the evolution of the UiPath narrative that essentially led to setting the stage or the foundation for the IPO. Yeah, it was a little bit of what I talked about earlier in, in that there was a lot of innovation and a lot of development happening and a lot of our product leadership and our CEO, they're visionary in understanding what the market needs. But there was a lot of development happening to satisfy that need, but there wasn't a cohesive story between all of it, right? And so what led to it was the great innovation needing a crisp narrative across all of it to, to make it simple. Like my philosophy is people have a lot to digest. They're not necessarily thinking about your product all day, every day. It has to be really sit like, yes, there's a lot of complexity involved in what we do. And when you deep dive into each of the 19 products there, they all have a lot of great capabilities, but for people to really absorb it, for it to matter, they have to have a simple mental model for what it is that you do and creating a framework and a simple narrative that explains what your product does and why it's important. You need to layer that on top of all the great innovation work that you're doing. So that's what led to it is the real need to do that and go and talk to hundreds of people across the company and across our customer base. Doing that work and crafting that narrative, really sensing a gap there is what led to putting us in the position during the IPO process to be a big part of it. And that work is so important. And I'm finding that a lot of product marketing teams are starting to do that work in a really big way. I mean, I've been in the MarTech space for quite a while now. And in the MarTech space, Scott Brinker has this MarTech graphic with all the companies. And I I think there's 10,000 or something to that effect at this point. And for those of you who may have read the book, Blue Ocean Strategy, know that it's kind of a red ocean these days where you can't kind of enter at least the MarTech space without having a bunch of different 
competitors and really is truly that narrative that is able to differentiate a lot of companies. And I think doing that work of not only meeting with, but talking with customers, talking with internal stakeholders, really letting some of the CEO driving some of that vision. Andy Raskin is obviously a well-known. Yeah, wonderful. One thing I really love about the things he talks about is really just that like he won't work with a company where the process isn't driven by the CEO. And while that is kind of black and white, so to speak, right? But I do love that framework because it just places so much of the importance of the story at the head of the organization itself. And I'm curious if you see that at UiPath, has your CEO like driven some of that story and have you kind of co-owned and and co-opted that with them? great point if it has to be at the CEO level, the storytelling. So I would also say if you're not getting the CEO to buy in, you're going to have not just buy in, but be the driver of it. I think Andy Reskin is so right. You're going to spin cycles, a lot of cycles. And if you're great, you'll have an impact, but it won't have an outsized impact if the CEO is not driving because everyone's looking to the CEO and they're going to follow what the CEO does. And if the CEO amplifies it and is telling the story, that's when the company really lines up around it. So he's 100% right. I think that's a great point. Daniel embraced it. Daniel refined it. I remember the first time we showed him sort of the narrative. He said, this is good, but not great. And then we went and spent two hours. He's a deconstructionist. He's a really brilliant guy. And when you show him something, he doesn't just accept it. He looks at it and deconstructs it and, and looks at it from first principles. And he broke it down from first principles and we rebuilt the narrative and the story from his lens in a much more meaningful way. And he owned it as well when we went through that process. And then he went and promoted it and talked about it on stage at our event. And that was so important to the process. So that's a great point. It's not in isolation. It's not just the product marketing. It's product marketing servicing the strategy of the overall organization. And if you don't see a path to that, I would really question, like, is this a great place to be? Just to be blunt, because I've gone through both sides, where it is and where it isn't. And it's really a slog when it's not. Agree. Yeah, totally agree. It is kind of an uphill battle, I guess, when a CEO is not bought in or doesn't view that as strategic work. And that can definitely be a red flag, I guess, so to speak, for an organization. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that I found, like, it just spurs a question. And maybe, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. So sorry to turn around on your question, but <laughs> it makes me think, like, as we talk about this, how do you become good at storytelling, right? Like that, because like, I find myself talking about this a lot, but then I think people listening to this might like wonder. To me, the first thing I think about is a lot of reading. Narrative structures are something that I think about a lot and I read and I can spot them out. I've read Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey. I've read all the, Absolutely. You know, all the foundational storytelling stuff that's out there. So I don't think I could point to like do X, Y, Z to be a good storyteller, but I find myself getting good at it because I understand structure and story. I don't know how you've gotten good at it because I'm actually curious how others have gotten good at storytelling. I think my process, I guess, so to speak, has been fairly similar to yours, Diego. And I think everybody is looking for this step one, two, three, so to speak, a structure where it's like, oh, like if I do those three steps, like I'll be good at storytelling. And it's almost an art and a science, right? Where yeah. you can't just do steps one, two, and three and expect your story to be magical because of that component of the art in it as well. And so for me personally, I have definitely read all of the same books that you probably have as well. Yeah. At least all the ones that you mentioned, I certainly have read, but I've also like through the course of, and you mentioned this a bit earlier, through the course of talking with internal stakeholders. When I started at Iterable, just a little over a year ago, I spent a considerable amount of time within the first 30 or 60 days having kind of essentially coffee chats. I mean, they were long coffee chats. They were like an hour long, but these meetings with probably 50 plus people within the organization across different departments, across different levels of seniority to try to really understand like, what was the narrative we're telling? What are the kind of challenges and opportunities that product marketing 
marketing can help solve for. And one of my key projects coming in was to redefine the narrative. And that really helped me because a lot of the folks who are CSMs or AEs or who are customer facing, in other words, really were able to give me like deep insight about here are the challenges we run into or here are yeah. the things that work really well and resonate and open doors for us. And those were the things I zeroed on quite a bit as I was yes. really thinking holistically about the story. Yeah. And those things aren't apparent if you're just doing Google searches. And by the way, Google searches are well worth their weight in gold. Like yeah. you absolutely should be doing that work, but you need to drill a layer or two deeper than that to really get that insight. Totally. And don't you find that you start hearing the same things over and over again? Like they just start, like the real gold starts to gets repeated from completely different people, right? Like the best salespeople, the best CSMs, the best people out in the field. You start hearing these things over and over again. And I think what a really good storyteller does is notice, right? And make the connections and then put a framework around it. So I often say, right? I often say like, I have a couple of secret weapons in the company, like some of these salespeople that are just... They know how to talk about the product and they bring to me what the customers are saying and we have a good chemistry. So we start to jam on it. And I have a lot of those little pockets where they surface to me the good stuff. So I almost never, it's never like this one moment of inspiration where I've come up with the idea. It's almost like corralling the momentum of what is happening out there and turning it into a story. So narrative is good storytelling and good narrative in software to me is taking what's happening and polishing it, organizing it, recognizing it, organizing it, polishing it, making it easier for people to grasp and understand, but it's not necessarily inventing it. It is really uncovering it and discovering it. That was really what you said. They really triggered that for me to you know, realize that I've noticed that over and over again. It's almost like you stumble upon great narrative. hundred percent agree. And I think a lot of times, certainly in my time at HubSpot and definitely also in my time here at Iterable so far, as I'm working on different narratives, whether it be a broad company level or product level narrative or down to individual kind of features, so to speak. I found that user feedback is also that incredible kind of catalyst, I guess, so to speak, for the narrative where you can go on review sites like maybe G2 or TrustRadius or whatever, pick your review site and even just like taking some of their words, maybe not the whole review, but like taking a sentence or even just a few words can be a really great way to encapsulate essentially your narrative and can be a springboard for that as well. It's not to say that will like be the silver bullet for your narrative, but like once you've done the work for some of that corralling as you identified, that can actually really be a great step forward. Yeah, totally. And along with sort of the idea of interview with the field, customer interviews are also probably even more valuable. You just getting yourself at like the customer advisory board meetings. The first thing I did was make sure that I got into all the customer forums that we held where customers were talking in person and getting to meet customers, forming a couple of really good relationships with some pioneering customers. They were early in this market too. They're pioneering. They want to talk about it. They want to meet each other. That early stage type of customer is also willing to talk to you. And so getting on the phone and just kind of letting them talk and understand how they see things. And I found a similar phenomenon happen as I did with the great salespeople is that you start hearing the same thing from five or six or seven different customer interviews. There's something there. And it's really up to you then to take that and turn that into Marriott to the other things you're seeing and build a narrative out of that. So customers are a great source of that too. Customer interviews. There's no deep dive customer interviews. That There's nothing that can replace that. Agree. And spending the time and effort on that is incredibly important. I know oftentimes for product marketers, when the bucket list or the task list, maybe a better way of phrasing that starts to fill up some of those things like customer interviews often do get kind of moved down the chain. And it's so important to, to keep at the top or at least try to do them fairly often. So you are staying connected to the market. 
Awesome. Thank you, Diego. And curious, like we've been talking a lot about narrative and we certainly talked a bit about the UiPath journey to IPO. And I'm curious to maybe expand on that a little bit. Like how has product marketing evolved from pre-IPO essentially to where you are today? Yeah. So I think it has become more structured, more programmatic, more connected to the demand gen machine as well. When you become public, there's a lot of, you just, there's predictability that needs to be present for the markets and quantification. And so I think generally, I would say 2018, 2019, we were building the team and building the function and really elevating it and kind of growing it to what it ultimately is. And so I don't think a lot has changed. I think we've been fairly stable since early 2020 because we knew we were marching towards an IPO and we built the team out to that scale and to operate as a public company. But I would say along the way, we have more structure in terms of what's our bill of materials look like? What does a launch process look like? How do we connect to the demand gen and campaigns? How do we run product campaigns versus new customer acquisition campaigns versus product adoption campaigns? So we've gotten, I think, a little more buttoned up. It was a little more early stage startup-y in the beginning. We figured it out, created a team structure that worked, and then worked on sort of our processes and our organization becoming more predictable. And that's where we are now, I think. Yeah, I think every product marketing team, and that's really smart, by the way, but I think every product marketing team goes through that evolution and goes through some of the, if it's fair to say, kind of specialization to some extent, yeah. right? Uh, because we do get more deeply involved in, as you've said, demand generation, but also need to develop more insights potentially on maybe competitive or analyst yeah. relations or, or whatever the case may be. Right. And one thing that's kind of weird about product marketing is that it's not exactly the same from company to company, right? So mm-hmm. I spent a lot of 2018, 2019 figuring out what does product marketing need to be at UiPath and then crafting a team and a structure that service that. And that's where we are now doing that at scale. And so we have a clear definition and we're operating a more structured way now. Love that. Well, Diego, this has been an incredible conversation. And one question that I ask to all my guests, because I think it's so important, and I think reading and podcast listening for that matter as well, is a great way to learn, to understand new mental models. We talked a lot about storytelling and about some of the books that apply there. So I feel like a lot of product marketers talk about some of these books that we talked about, but I'm curious if you have maybe one or two books that you've read recently that have had an impact on you or your career. Yeah. I mean, I think a couple of quick things. One, I think the book that was most impactful in the way I think about technology marketing was Crossing the Chasm. I haven't read it in a couple of years. So I wonder, is it still as valid as it was back 15 years ago? But that was like the one book that was like, wow, this makes a lot of sense. And it really influenced the way I thought about marketing at the time. But I would say I'm not hundred percent sure it's still as important as it was. I think the influence by Robert Calvini, if you haven't read it, it's or anyone hasn't read it, it's a great book to understand how people think and the word influence tells you what it's about. It's great for marketers because it helps, it helps you understand persuasion, but not just at a surface level. It's what's happening in the brain and how does cognition work and how do people process and think about things like where they fit into society, what their biggest concerns are and how you can help persuade people leveraging some of those things. So maybe it sounds a little more nefarious than it actually, I'm making it sound more nefarious, <laughs> but it's a great book to understand psychology. And then I just read a book called The Scout Mindset by Julia Galef, which is about how to overcome bias and be more objective, that has really resonated with me, especially in a world where we have a lot of polarized thinking today. And you speak to a lot of people who have a 
lot of polar views. Being objective and how to think more objectively, I thought was really interesting. And I read that. And then a couple of quick other ones. There's a book called Flow that is, once again, a study of cognition and psychology and how to really design your work to be personally fulfilling and how to enter the state of flow where the work that you're doing is actually creating as much enjoyment every day in your life as possible, which then circulates back to better work. So I think that's a great book. And then the last things I'll say is I love to read about technology history too. I think it's important for people in technology to understand the long story behind where we are today. And there's two great books that I recommend to everyone on my team. This book called The Dream Machine, which is the biography of J.C.R. Licklider, who really had his hand in a lot of the major advancements of the computing era. He was the head of ARPA. It's kind of like the Forrest Gump of technology. He was part of the internet, part of the early computing, <laughs> part of everything. And it's a great book. And then there's like a, a more obscure book called Sweating Bullets, which is the history of PowerPoint. And the guy who started the company that Microsoft, well, he was the CEO of the company that Microsoft acquired, took copious notes of the, the history of the company that was PowerPoint and then their early journey with Microsoft. And it was extremely illuminating to see what it was like at a company, an early stage company that had huge success and became a significant part of humanity's daily life. So I love those two books because they're really deep dives into what technology history and I love that, that stuff. So just a couple there. Love all those book recommendations, Diego. Thank you so much. And it sounds like consumer psychology, which is, of course, I took in college. I'm sure many others took as well. And I attribute back to the thing that got me interested in product marketing and is kind of a theme through a few of those books. Yeah. So that's incredible. And I'll definitely keep a lookout for those and look to read those. But thank you so much for the recommendations. Uh, this yeah. conversation has been incredible. Thank you so much for your time today. And I appreciate your advice and wish you and the UiPath team a ton of success. Thank you, Jeff. Really a pleasure speaking to you today. Thanks for the conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode with Diego. I hope you got as much value from this conversation as I did as well. And this episode was the last episode of our season two on the Product Marketing Experts podcast. But don't worry, we're going to be back really soon for season three with a whole new lineup of awesome guests and product marketers that we can all aspire to learn from. I'm looking forward to sharing more with you and talking more with you. With Clue, you can build and deliver battle cards to help sales close more deals. Stay on top of your competitor strategies and measure your competitive program's impact to the bottom line. Don't just compete, compete to win.